0: Section six of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew. Volume one. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk. Part six. Of the Conveyances of the Costermongers and Other Street Sellers. We now come to consider the matters relating more particularly to the commercial life of the Costermongers. All who pass along the thoroughfares of the metropolis bestowing more than a cursory glance upon the many phases of its busy street life must be struck with astonishment to observe the various modes of conveyance used by those who resort to the public thoroughfares for a livelihood from the more provident costermonger's pony and donkey cart to the old rusty iron tray slung around the neck by the vendor of blacking and down to the little grey-eyed irish boy with his lucifer matches in the last remains of a willow hand-basket the shape and variety of the means resorted to by the costermongers and other street-sellers for carrying about their goods are almost as manifold as the articles they vend the pony or donkey carts and the latter is by far the more usual beast of draught of the prosperous costermongers are of three kinds The first is of an oblong shape, with a rail behind upon which is placed a tray filled with bunches of greens, turnips, celery, and so on, whilst other commodities are laid in the bed of the cart. Another kind is the common square cart, without springs, which is so constructed that the sides, as well as the front and back, will let down and form shelves, whereon the stock may be arranged to advantage. The third sort of pony cart is one of home manufacture, consisting of the framework of a body, without sides or front or hind part. Sometimes a coster's barrow is formed into a donkey cart, merely by fastening with cord two rough poles to the handles. All these several kinds of carts are used for the conveyances of either fruit, vegetables or fish, but besides those there is the salt and mustard vendor's cart, with and without the tilt or covering, and a square piece of tin, stuck into a block of salt, on which is painted salt three pounds a penny and mustard a penny an ounce then there is the poultry cart with the wild ducks and rabbits dangling at its sides and with two uprights and a cross stick upon which are suspended birds and so on slung across in couples the above conveyances are all of small dimensions the barrows being generally about five feet long and three wide while the carts are mostly about four feet square every kind of harness is used some is well blacked and greased and glittering with brass others are almost as grey with dust as the donkey itself some of the jackasses are gaudily caparisoned in an old carriage harness which fits it like a man's coat on a boy's back while the plated silver ornaments are pink with the copper showing through others have rope traces and belly bands and not a few indulge in old cotton handkerchiefs for pads the next conveyance which indeed is the most general is the costermonger's hand barrow these are very light in their make with springs terminating at the axle some have rails behind for the arrangement of their goods others have not some have side rails whilst others have only the framework the shape of these barrows is oblong and sloped from the hind part towards the front the bottom of the bed is not boarded but consists of narrow strips of wood nailed athwart and across when the coster is hawking his fish or vending his green stuff he provides himself with a wooden tray which is placed upon his barrow those who cannot afford a tray get some pieces of board and fasten them together these answering their purpose as well pineapple and pineapple rock barrows are not unfrequently seen with small bright colored flags at the four corners fluttering in the wind the knife cleaners barrow which has lately appeared in the streets must not be passed over here it consists of a huge sentry box with a door and is fixed upon two small wheels being propelled in the same way as a wheelbarrow in the interior is one of kent's patent knife cleaning machines worked by turning a handle then there are the cat and dog's meat barrows these however are merely common wheelbarrows with a board in front and a ledge or shelf formed by a piece of board nailed across the top of the barrow to answer the purpose of a cutting board lastly there is the hearthstone barrow piled up with hearthstone bath brick and lumps of whiting another mode of conveying the goods through the streets is by baskets of various kinds as the sieve or head-basket, the square and oval shallow fastened in front of the fruit-woman with a strap round the waist, the hand-basket, and the prickle. The sieve or head-basket is a round willow basket containing about one-third of a bushel. The square and oval shallows are willow baskets, about four inches deep and thirty inches long by eighteen broad. The hand-basket is the common oval basket with a handle across to hang upon the arm. The latter are generally used by the Irish for onions and apples. The prickle is a brown willow basket, in which walnuts are imported into this country from the continent. They are about thirty inches deep, and in bulk, rather larger than a gallon measure. They are used only by the vendors of walnuts. Such are the principal forms of the Costa conveyances. But besides carts, barrows, and baskets there are many other means adopted by the London street sellers for carrying their goods from one part of the metropolis to another. The principal of these are cans, trays, boxes, and poles. The baked potato cans sometimes are square and sometimes oval. They are made with and without legs, a lid fastened on with hinges, and have a small charcoal fire fixed at the bottom of the can so as to keep the potatoes hot while there is a pipe at top, to let off the steam. On one side of the can is a little compartment for the salt, and another on the other side for the butter. The hot pie can is a square tin can standing upon four legs, with a door in front and three partitions inside. A fire is kept in the bottom, and the pies arranged in order upon the iron plates or shelves. When the pies at the bottom are sufficiently hot, they are taken out and placed on the upper shelf while those above are removed to the lower compartments, by which means all the pies are kept hot and hot. The muffin and crumpet boy carries his articles in a basket, covered outside with oilcloth and inside with green baize, either at his back or slung over his arm, and rings his bell as he walks. The vendors of corn salve, plating balls, soap for removing grease spots, paper, steel pens, envelopes, and so on, carry their commodities in front of them in boxes suspended round the neck by a narrow leather strap rabbits and game are sometimes carried in baskets and at other times tied together and slung over a pole upon the shoulder hat and bonnet boxes are likewise conveyed upon a pole doormats baskets and duffers packs pails, brushes brooms clothes props clothes lines and string and gridirons, dutch ovens, skewers, and fire-shovels are carried across the shoulder. Of the Smithfield Races Having set forth the Costamonger's usual mode of conveying his goods through the streets of London, I shall now give the reader a description of the place and scene, where and when he purchases his donkeys. When a costermonger wishes to sell or buy a donkey, he goes to Smithfield Market on a Friday afternoon. On this day, between the hours of one and five, there is a kind of fair held, attended solely by costermongers, for whose convenience a long paved slip of ground about eighty feet in length has been set apart. The animals for sale are trotted up and down this—the race-course, as it is called and on each side of it stand the spectators and purchasers, crowding among the stalls of peas soup, hot eels, and other street delicacies. Everything necessary for the starting of a Costamonger's Barrow can be had in Smithfield on a Friday, from the barrow itself to the weights, from the donkey to the whip. The animals can be purchased at prices ranging from five shillings to three pounds. On a brisk market day as many as two hundred donkeys have been sold, the barrows for sale are kept apart from the steeds, but harness to any amount can be found everywhere, in all degrees of excellence, from the bright japanned cart-saddle with its new red pads, to the old mouldy trace covered with buckle marks. Wheels of every size and colour, and springs in every stage of rust, are hawked about on all sides. To the usual noise and shouting of a Saturday night's market, is added the shrill squealing of distant pigs the lowing of the passing oxen the bleating of sheep and the braying of donkeys the paved road all down the racecourse is level and soft with the mud trodden down between the stones the policeman on duty there wears huge fisherman's or flusherman's boots reaching to their thighs and the trouser ends of the costa's corduroys are black and sodden with wet dirt every variety of odour fills the air you pass from the stable smell that hangs about the donkeys into an atmosphere of apples and fried fish near the eating stalls while a few paces further on you are nearly choked with the stench of goats the crowd of black hats thickly dotted with red and yellow plush caps reels about and the hi ay 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 of the donkey runners sounds on all sides sometimes a curly-headed bull with a fierce red eye on its way to or from the adjacent cattle market comes trotting down the road making all the visitors rush suddenly to the railings for fear as a coster near me said of being taught the hornpipe the donkeys standing for sale are ranged in a long line on both sides of the race course their white velvety noses resting on the wooden rail they are tied to many of them wear their blinkers and head harness and others are ornamented with ribbons fastened in their halters the lookers-on lean against this railing and chat with the boys at the donkeys heads or with the men who stand behind them and keep continually hitting and shouting at the poor still beasts to make them prance sometimes a party of two or three will be seen closely examining one of these jerusalem ponies passing their hands down its legs or looking quietly on while the proprietor's ash stick descends on the patient brute's back making a dull hollow sound as you walk in front of the long line of donkeys the lads seize the animals by their nostrils and show their large teeth asking if you want a ass sir and all warranting the creature to be five years old next buff day dealers are quarrelling among themselves downcrying each other's goods a hearty man shouted one proprietor pointing to his rival's stock could eat three such donkeys as yourn at a meal one fellow standing behind his steed shouts as he strikes here's the real britannia metal," while another asks who's for the pride of the market and then proceeds to flip the pride with his whip till she clears away the mob with her kickings here standing by its mother will be a shaggy little colt with a group of ragged boys fondling it and lifting it in their arms from the ground during all this the shouts of the drivers and runners fill the air as they rush past each other on the race-course now a tall fellow dragging a donkey after him runs by crying as he charges in amongst the mob halloa halloa hi hi his mate with his long coat-tails flying in the wind hurrying after and roaring between his blows on nearly every post are hung traces or bridles and in one place on the occasion of my visit stood an old collar with a donkey nibbling at the straw that had burst out some of the lads in smock frocks walk about with cart-saddles on their heads and crowds gather round the trucks piled up with a black heap of harness studded with brass those without trays have spread out old sacks on the ground on which are laid axle-trees bound-up springs and battered carriage lamps there are plenty of rusty nails and iron bolts to be had if a barrow should want mending and if the handles are broken an old cab-shaft can be bought cheap to repair them in another race-course opposite to the donkeys the ponies are sold these make a curious collection each one showing what was his last master's whim one has its legs and belly shorn of its hair Another has its mane and tail cut close and some have switch tails muddy at the end from their length. A big hipped black nag with red tinsel-like spots on its back had its ears cut close and another curly-haired brute that was wet and steaming with having been shown off had two huge letters burnt into its hind quarters. Here the clattering of the hoofs and the smacking of whips added to the din and one poor brute with red empty eye-holes and carrying its head high up as a blind man does sent out showers of sparks from its hoofs as it spluttered over the stones at each blow it received occasionally in one part of the pony market there may be seen a crowd gathered round a nag that someone swears has been stolen from him raised up over the heads of the mob are bundles of whips and men push their way past with their arms full of yellow-handled curry combs while amongst the other cries is heard that of sticks halfpenny each sticks real smarters at one end of the market the burrows for sale are kept piled up one on another or filled with old wheels and some with white unpainted wood showing where they have been repaired men are seen here thumping the wooden trays and trying the strength of the springs by leaning on them and here too stood on the occasion of my visit a ragged Coster lad trying to sell his scales now the cherry season had passed on all sides the refreshment barrows are surrounded by customers the whelk man peppers his lots and shouts a lumping penneth for a halfpenny!" and a lad in a smock frock carries two full pails of milk slopping it as he walks and crying "Halfpenny a mugful new milk from the keow. THE ONLY QUIET PEOPLE TO BE SEEN ARE ROUND THE PEAS SOUP STALL, WITH THEIR CUPS IN THEIR HANDS, AND THERE IS A HUGE CROWD COVERING IN THE HOT EEL STAND, WITH THE STEAM RISING UP IN THE CENTER. BASKETS OF SLICED CAKE, APPLES, NUTS, AND PINEAPPLE ROCK BLOCK UP THE PATHWAY, AND LONG WICKER BASKETS OF LIVE FOWLS HEM YOU IN, ROUND WHICH ARE GROUPED THE COSTERS, HANDLING AND BLOWING APART THE FEATHERS ON THE BREAST of the donkeys of the costermongers, the costermongers almost universally treat their donkeys with kindness many a costermonger will resent the ill-treatment of a donkey as he would a personal indignity these animals are often not only favorites but pets having their share of the costamonger's dinner when bread forms a portion of it or pudding or anything suited to the palate of the brute Those well used manifest fondness for their masters, and are easily manageable. It is, however, difficult to get an ass whose master goes regular rounds away from its stable for any second labour during the day, unless it has fed and slept in the interval. The usual fare of a donkey is a peck of chaff, which costs one penny, a quart of oats, and a quart of beans, each averaging a penny-halfpenny and sometimes a pennyworth of hay being an expenditure of fourpence or fivepence a day but some give double this quantity in a prosperous time only one meal a day is given many costermongers told me that their donkeys lived well when they themselves lived well it's all nonsense to call donkeys stupid said one costermonger to me them's stupid that calls them so they're sensible not long since i worked guildford with my donkey-cart and a boy jack the donkey was slow and heavy in coming back until we got in sight of the lights at Vauxhall gate and then he trotted on like one o'clock he did indeed just as if he smelt it was london besides seeing it and knew he was at home he had a famous appetite in the country and the fresh grass did him good i gave a country lad tuppence to mind him in a green lane there i wanted my own boy to do so but he said i'll see you further first a london boy hates being by himself in a lone country part he's afraid of being burked he is indeed one can't quarrel with a lad when he's away with one in the country he's very useful i feed my donkey well i sometimes give him a carrot for a luxury but carrots are dear now he's fond of mashed potatoes and has many a good mash when i can buy them at four pounds a penny there was a friend of mine said another man had great trouble about his donkey a few months back i saw part of it and knew all about it he was doing a little work on a sunday morning at wandsworth and the poor thing fell down dead he was very fond of his donkey and kind to it and the donkey was very fond of him he thought he wouldn't leave the poor creature he'd had a good while and had been out with in all weathers by the roadside so he dropped all notion of doing business and with help got the poor dead thing into his cart its head lolloping over the end of the cart and its poor eyes staring at nothing he thought he'd drag it home and bury it somewhere it wasn't for the value he dragged it for what's a dead donkey worth there was a few persons about him and they was all quiet and seemed sorry for the poor fellow and for his donkey but the church bells struck up and up came a crusher and took the man up and next day he was fined ten shillings I can't exactly say for what. He never saw no more of the animal, and lost his stock as well as his donkey. Of the Costamonger's Capital The costermongers, though living by buying and selling, are seldom or never capitalists. It is estimated that not more than one-fourth of the entire body trade upon their own property. Some borrow their stock money, others borrow the stock itself, others again borrow the donkey-carts barrows or baskets in which their stock is carried round while others borrow even the weights and measures by which it is meted out the reader however uninformed he may be as to the price the poor usually have to pay for any loans they may require doubtlessly need not be told that the remuneration exacted for the use of the above-named commodities is not merely confined to the legal five pounds per centum per annum still many of even the most knowing will hardly be able to credit the fact that the ordinary rate of interest in the costermonger's money market amounts to twenty per cent per week or no less than one thousand and forty pounds a year for every hundred pounds advanced but the iniquity of this usury in the present instance is felt not so much by the cost themselves as by the poor people whom they serve for of course the enormous rate of interest must be paid out of the profits on the goods they sell and consequently added to the price so that coupling this overcharge with the customary short allowance in either weight or measure as the case may be we can readily perceive how cruelly the poor are defrauded and how they not only get often too little for what they do, but have as often to pay too much for what they buy. Premising thus much, I shall now proceed to describe the terms upon which the barrow, the cart, the basket, the weights, the measures, the stock money, or the stock, is usually advanced to the needy costermongers by their more thrifty brethren. The hire of a barrow is threepence a day, or one shilling a week, for the six winter months and fourpence a day or one shilling and sixpence a week for the six summer months some are to be had rather lower in the summer but never for less than fourpence sometimes for not less than sixpence on a saturday when not unfrequently every barrow in london is hired no security and no deposit is required but the lender satisfies himself that the borrower is really what he represents himself to be i am informed that five thousand hired barrows are now in the hands of the london costermongers at an average rental of three pounds five shillings each or ten thousand two hundred and fifty pounds a year one man lets out a hundred and twenty yearly at a return dropping the five shillings of three hundred and sixty pounds while the cost of a good barrow new is two pounds twelve shillings and in the autumn and winter They may be bought new or as good as new at thirty shillings each so that reckoning each to cost this barrow letter two pounds he receives three hundred and sixty pounds rent or interest exactly one hundred and fifty percent per annum for property which originally cost but two hundred and forty pounds and property which is still as good for the ensuing year's business as for the past one man has rented a barrow for eight years during which period he has paid twenty-six pounds for what in the first instance did not cost more than twice as many shillings and which he must return if he discontinues its use i know men well to do said an intelligent costermonger who have paid one shilling and one shilling and sixpence a week for a barrow for three four and five years and they can't be made to understand that it's rather high rent for what might cost forty shillings at first they can't see that they are losers one barrow lender sends his son out mostly on a sunday collecting his rents for barrows but he's not a hard man some of the lenders complain that their customers pay them irregularly and cheat them often and that in consequence they must charge high while the borrowers declare that it is very seldom indeed that a man shirks the rent for his barrow generally believing that he has made an advantageous bargain and feeling the want of his vehicle if he lose it temporarily let the lenders however be deceived by many still it is evident that the rent charged for barrows is most exorbitant by the fact that all who take to the business become men of considerable property in a few years donkey carts are rarely hired if there's two thousand donkey and pony carts in london more or less not two hundred of them's borrowed but of barrows five to two is borrowed a donkey cart costs from two pounds to ten pounds three pounds ten shillings being an average price the hire is two shillings or two shillings and sixpence a week the harness costs two pounds ten shillings new but is bought nineteen times out of twenty second-hand at from two shillings and sixpence to twenty shillings the donkeys themselves are not let out on hire though a costermonger may let out his donkey to another in the trade when he does not require its services the usual sum paid for the hire of a donkey is two shillings and sixpence or three shillings per week the cost price of a pony varies from five pounds to thirteen pounds that of a donkey from one pound to three pounds there may be six donkeys or more in costamonger use to one pony some traffic almost weekly in these animals liking the excitement of such business the repairs to barrows carts and harness are almost always effected by the costamongers themselves shallows baskets which cost one shilling and one shilling and sixpence are let out at one penny a day but not five in one hundred of those in use are borrowed as their low price places them at the costamonger's command a pewter quart pot for measuring onions and so on is let out at tuppence a day its cost being two shillings scales are tuppence and a set of weights one penny a day another common mode of usury is in the lending of stock money this is lent by the costamongers who have saved the means for such use of their funds and by beer shopkeepers, the money lending costermongers are the most methodical in their usury. One thousand and forty pounds per cent per annum, as was before stated, being the rate of interest usually charged. It is seldom that a lower sum than ten shillings is borrowed, and never a higher sum than two pounds. When a stranger applies for a loan, the money lender satisfies himself, as I have described of the barrow lender. He charges tuppence a day for a loan of two shillings and sixpence, threepence a day for five shillings, sixpence a day for ten shillings, and one shilling a day for one pound. If the daily payments are rendered regularly, at a monthly end, the terms are reduced to sixpence a week for five shillings, one shilling for ten shillings, and two shillings for one pound. That's reckoned an extraordinary small interest, was said to me. Only fourpence a day for a pound. The average may be three shillings a week for the loan of twenty shillings, it being only to a few that a larger sum than twenty shillings is lent. I paid two shillings a week for one pound for a whole year, said one man, or five pounds four shillings for the use of a pound, and then I was liable to repay the one pound. The principal, however, is seldom repaid, nor does the lender seem to expect it, though he will occasionally demand it one money lender is considered to have a floating capital of one hundred and fifty pounds invested in loans to cost among us. if he receives two shillings per week per pound for but twenty six weeks in the year note and he often receives it for the fifty two weeks end note, his one hundred and fifty pounds brings him in three hundred and ninety pounds a year sometimes a loan is effected only for a day generally a saturday as much as two and sixpence being sometimes given for the use of five shillings, the five shillings being of course repaid in the evening. The money-lenders are subject to at least twice the extent of loss to which the barrow-lender is exposed, as it is far oftener that money is squandered note, on which, of course, no interest can be paid end note, than that a barrow is disposed of. The money-lenders, note from the following statement made to me by one who was in the habit of borrowing, note, pursue their business in a not very dissimilar manner to that imputed to those who advance larger sums. If I want to borrow in a hurry, said my informant, as I may hear of a good bargain, I run to my neighbour, L blank, S, and he first says he hasn't twenty shillings to lend, and his wife's by and she says she hasn't two shillings in her pocket and so i can't be accommodated then he says if i must have the money he'll have to pawn his watch or to borrow it of mr an innkeeper who would charge a deal of interest for he wasn't paid all he lent two months back and one shilling would be expected to be spent in drink though l don't drink or he must try if his sister would trust him but she was sick and wanted all her money or perhaps his barrow merchant would lend him ten shillings if he'd undertake to return fifteen shillings at night AND IT ENDS BY MY THINKING I'VE DONE PRETTY WELL IF I CAN GET ONE POUND FOR FIVE SHILLINGS INTEREST FOR A DAY'S USE OF IT THE beer-shop KEEPERS LEND ON FAR EASIER TERMS PERHAPS AT HALF THE INTEREST EXACTED BY THE OTHERS AND WITHOUT ANY REGULAR SYSTEM OF CHARGES BUT THEY LOOK SHARP AFTER THE REPAYMENT AND EXPECT A CONSIDERABLE OUTLAY IN BEER AND WILL ONLY LEND TO GOOD CUSTOMERS THEY HOWEVER HAVE EVEN LENT MONEY WITHOUT INTEREST in the depths of last winter said a man of good character to me i borrowed five shillings the beer shopkeeper wouldn't lend he'd rather lend to men doing well and drinking but i borrowed it at sixpence a day interest and that sixpence a day i paid exactly four weeks sundays and all and that was fifteen shillings in thirty days for the use of five shillings i was half starving all the time and then i had a slice of luck and paid the five shillings back slap and got out of it many shopkeepers lend money to the stallkeepers whom they know from standing near their premises and that without interest they generally lend however to the women as they think the men want to get drunk with it indeed if it wasn't for the women said a costermonger to me half of us might go to the union another mode of usurious lending or trading is as i said before to provide the costermonger not with the stock money but with the stock itself This mode is also highly profitable to the usurer, who is usually a costamonger, but sometimes a greengrocer. A stock of fruit, fish, or vegetables, with a barrow for its conveyance, is entrusted to a street seller, the usual way being to let him have a sovereign's worth. The value of this, however, at the market cost, rarely exceeds fourteen shillings. Still, the man entrusted with it must carry twenty shillings to his creditor, or he will hardly be trusted a second time. The man who trades with the stock is not required to pay the twenty shillings on the first day of the transaction as he may not have realized so much but he must pay some of it generally ten shillings and must pay the remainder the next day or the money-lender will decline any subsequent dealings it may be thought as no security is given and as the costermongering barrow stock or money-lender never goes to law for the recovery of any debts or goods that the percentage is not so very exorbitant after all but i ascertained that not once in twenty times was the money-lender exposed to any loss by the non-payment of his usurious interest while his profits are enormous the borrower knows that if he fail in his payment the lender will acquaint the other members of his fraternity so that no future loan will be attainable and the costermonger's business may be at an end one borrower told me that the repayment of his loan of two pounds borrowed two years ago at four shillings a week had this autumn been reduced to two shillings and sixpence a week he's a decent man i pay now he said he has twice forgiven me a month at a time when the weather was very bad and the times as bad as the weather before i borrowed of him i had dealings with he was a scurf if i missed a week and told him i would make it up next week that won't do he'd say i'll turn you up i'll take d blank d good care to stop you i'll have you to rights if i hadn't satisfied him as i did at last i could never have got credit again never i'm informed that most of the money lenders if a man has paid for a year or so will now drop it for a month or so in a very hard up time and go on again there is no i o u or any memorandum given to the usurer there's never a slip of paper about it sir i was told i may add that a very intelligent man from whom i derived information said to me concerning costermongers never going to law to recover money owing to them nor indeed for any purpose if anyone steals anything from me and that as far as i know never happened but once in ten years and i catch him i take it out of him on the spot i give him a jolly good hiding and there's an end of it i know very well sir that the costers are ignorant men but in my opinion, laughing, our never going to law shows that in that point we're in advance of the aristocrats. I never heard of a coster in a law court unless he was in trouble note, charged with some offence for assaulting a crusher or anybody he had quarrelled with or something of that kind. The barrow lender, when not regularly paid, sends someone or goes himself and carries away the barrow my personal experience with this peculiar class justifies me in saying that they are far less dishonest than they are usually believed to be and much more honest than their wandering habits their want of education and principle would lead even the most charitable to suppose since i have exhibited an interest in the sufferings and privations of these neglected people i have as the reader may readily imagine had many applications for assistance and without vanity I believe I may say that as far as my limited resources would permit, I have striven to extricate the street-sellers from the grasp of the usurer. Some to whom I have lent small sums—for gifts only degrade struggling honest men into the apathy of beggars—have taken the money with many a protestation that they would repay it in certain weekly instalments, which they themselves proposed but still have never made their appearance before me a second time. It may be from dishonesty, and it may be from inability and shame. Others, however, and they are not a few, have religiously kept faith with me, calling punctually to pay back a sixpence or a shilling, as the precariousness of their calling would permit, and doing this, though they knew that I abjured all claims upon them, but through their honour, and was indeed in most cases ignorant where to find them even if my inclination led me to seek or enforce a return of the loan one case of this kind shows so high a sense of honour among a class generally considered to rank among the most dishonourable that even at the risk of being thought egotistical i will mention it here two young men street sellers called upon me and begged hard for the loan of a little stock money they made needle cases and hawked them from door to door at the east end of the town and had not the means of buying the wood. I agreed to let them have ten shillings between them. This they promised to repay at a shilling a week. They were utter strangers to me. Nevertheless, at the end of the first week, one shilling of the sum was duly returned. The second week, however, brought no shilling, nor did the third nor the fourth, by which time I got to look upon the money as lost. But at the end of the fifth week, One of the men called with his sixpence, and told me how he should have been with me before, but his mate had promised each week to meet him with his sixpence, and each week disappointed him, so he had come on alone. I thanked him, and the next week he came again, so he did the next and the next after that. On the latter occasion he told me that in five more weeks he should have paid off his half of the amount advanced, and that then, as he had come with the other man, he would begin paying off his share as well. Those who are unacquainted with the character of the people may feel inclined to doubt the trustworthiness of the class, but it is an extraordinary fact that but few of the costermongers fail to repay the money advanced to them, even at the present ruinous rate of interest. The poor, it is my belief, have not yet been sufficiently tried in this respect, pawnbrokers loan offices tally shops dolly shops are the only parties who will trust them but as a startling proof of the good faith of the humbler classes generally it may be stated that mrs chisholm note the lady who has exerted herself so benevolently in the cause of emigration has lent out at different times as much as one hundred and sixty thousand pounds That has been entrusted to her for the use of the lower orders and that the whole of this large amount has been returned with the exception of twelve pounds i myself have often given a sovereign to professed thieves to get changed and never knew one to make off with the money depend upon it if we would really improve we must begin by elevating instead of degrading End of section 6